0: This is Dying Message Challenge, Murder in the Crooked House. We are going to solve so many mysteries today, but first we've got to solve the mystery of what is going on here because this is not exactly our regular podcast, starting with Who Am I? I'm the bespectacled host of this fiasco, Noah Max Levine, taking off my detective hat and putting on my game show gloves. Bespectacled? They don't know whether or not I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> Did you say game show claws? Game show gloves? Isn't that a thing?
1: What game shows are you watching with gloves on?
0: <laughs> gloves. You, you know, like if Alec Trebek
1: wore gloves, you'd be so creepy.
0: You you dress up really fancy for the game show, you put on your gloves. In the eyes of the listener, I'm also wearing glasses. It's it's all great. They have a good vision of what of what's going on here.
2: I mean, I would argue that Alex Trebek can wear whatever he damn well wants. So. That's
1: true. He can he can wear a mustache or not.
0: It's documented truth. Yeah, you can tell someone's age whether or not based on whether or not they remember Alex Trebek with the mustache.
1: There's a uh, a guy I, I met in Philly storytelling world a couple months ago who claims that he's the one who first encouraged uh, Trebek to shave off his mustache. Oh, Wow, uh, it's it's one of those claims. It's very hard to verify. Yeah, but like, why would you make it up other than the fact that that sounds hysterical and awesome?
0: <laughs> well, change the way we look at him.
1: This is now a Trebek mustache podcast.
0: Yes, exactly. I do have a um, uh, facial hair and glasses, so there you go,
1: mustache in the Crooked House.
0: So our normal wait, podcast.
2: Wait, I have to hold on. My yeah. my post-it notes in my copy of the Crooked House are mustache shaped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> those are the mustaches in the Crooked House.
3: I love it. I love it. I want some of those.
0: So, um, our normal podcast is, of course, Dying Message, the Detective Anime Mystery Podcast, where we watch anime with a mystery guest. If you're a regular listener to that podcast, you'll probably enjoy what we're doing today. It's a little bit different. We'll still be cracking jokes, spoiling the ending of a Japanese murder mystery, but this time it's a book and it's kind of a game show. So what is exactly going on here? What is Dying Message Challenge? This is a competitive book club. I've invited three amateur sleuths who have all read the beginning of Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. During our podcast today, they're going to compete in a series of silly challenges and make official guesses on the solution to the murders in the book. Now, for you all who are listening, you don't need to read the book to follow along, but we will be covering up to page 281 in this episode, and we will be spoiling the solution to the murders in the next episode. So if you want to play along, don't want to be spoiled, and want to read it for yourself, you have to get your hands on Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. After we're done today, and I have everyone's guesses, I'll send everybody away to read the end of the book so that we can come back in one week's time with you all and find out who won and all of that.
1: Some of us might even reread the beginning of the book uh, between (laughs) this week and next. Just hypothetically
0: speaking. Just hypothetically. Let's meet our amateur sleuths. See whose voices we've been hearing. Starting with, he's my partner in crime and out of crime, the resident anime expert of Dying Message, and he fashions himself as an eccentric, yammering detective. It's Michael Savitsky. That's me. (laughs) So, Michael, what is it like to be just one of the contestants on the show this week and not a co-host slash expert?
3: I feel like I've been downgraded. I'm a a guest. Or is that an upgrade? Is being a mystery guest an upgrade from an anime expert or a downgrade? We'll have to find out. Okay, let's find out.
0: Our next amateur sleuth is an educator and comedian. She's host of the Blue Sky Ed podcast, and she has been researching unsolved crimes for years in her spare time. It's Kate Esposito. Hello. So, Kate. How prepared do you think you are for taking on these challenges today?
2: I mean, my obsession with true crime goes way, way back. So I feel like I have some, some instincts for this. But also, I have no idea what the answer to this puzzle
0: is. A nice balance there. Our last amateur sleuth today. He's a storyteller and comedian, improviser on Philly's long-running n crowd improv team, and just generally mysterious. It's Neil Bardhan.
1: Hey, that's me. I'm mysterious now, huh?
0: (laughs) I don't know. The next thing I have written is that uh, some people have called you the wild card of this competition. What is your most unexpected skill you bring to the table?
1: I would say the most unexpected skill I'm bringing to this table would be my knife skills.
0: That could come in handy. It could. Three knife murders here. I don't
1: know what we're having for lunch today.
0: (laughs) So welcome to our three amateur sleuths, Michael, Kate, and Neil.
1: Yay!
0: Yay. (laughs) How's everybody feeling? How's everyone doing? I'm I'm honestly uh, a little in
3: both directions because I thought I was gonna know more things than I was gonna than I turned out uh, I know so it's a it's a deep mystery to be sure
1: uh, for myself I will say that about two nights ago I had a standardized test anxiety nightmare
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which was incredibly complex and I think that was indicative of uh, how I feel about this podcast
0: Do you have a standardized test coming up that you're taking?
1: No, this is the standardized test that I had the anxiety about. (laughs) Were you wearing pants in either that dream or at this moment? In the dream, I believe I was entirely wearing pants. At this moment, I am wearing uh, coronavirus
0: leisure wear. Aren't we all? Not Michael. What's he wearing? Jean shorts. Is that not acceptable? Corona wear?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Ah, I
1: don't know. Kate, how are you feeling?
2: Um, I gotta be honest, I came into this a little cocky because oh. <laughs> I am a big reader and I was like, ah, you know, I don't have to take it that seriously. I'll read it and then I'll just know who did it. And, you know, my claim to fame is that I knew the ending of The Sixth Sense before I <laughs> the uh, No one believes me, but I did. I did as well. I guessed it. I yeah. But I, you know, that didn't work for this book. So I'm, I'm a little, uh a little stumped
0: yeah it's it's kind of scary to be put on record with your actual guesses before you've read the end of the book presumably yeah what's yeah. up with that
2: i don't like feeling dumb so i'm not eager for that
0: um i mean i'll i'll be happy to share with you that i did not guess the murder of the book and i sound like a big know it all because i'm the only one here who's read the end of the book but um if i hadn't then i wouldn't
3: oh i hope i at least get the murderer right or i'm gonna feel real bad
1: Oh, there's only one murderer?
0: Murderers? I don't know. We'll find out. (laughs) We certainly will find out. Well, I'm glad to hear that everybody is here and ready to get into it, because it's time for our first challenge. So you've all read maybe three quarters of the book, so I want to check in and get everybody's thoughts. This is a game of short, sweet judgment calls. It's Book Retort.
1: <laughs> do you have music for this or no? Do you want
0: something? <laughs> um, I, I probably won't edit in sound effects, so I'm like so free sound? to punctuate things.
2: <laughs> pew 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> So about ten minutes ago, I asked each of you to think of a one to two sentence clever comment to tell us what you thought of the book so far. My favorite retort wins three points. These games are all gonna be very subjective. And you know, I who knows how many points I'll actually give people. Uh Neil, you're up first.
1: Great. There's too much going on in this book, and I find it as confusing as a foreign grocery store. Great, Kate?
2: This book contains a surprising amount of European folklore, and I don't like any one of the
3: characters. Michael? Uh, there once was a crooked man who lived in a crooked house. I thought I'd come up with a rhyme,
0: but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so... Oh, gosh. I have to make snap judgments or else this podcast is going to go off. You can on. edit it so it sounds like you had snap judgments. Forever. That's true. That's inauthentic.
2: Ten minutes later.
0: All right. <laughs> I'm going to give two points to Michael and Kate and three points to Neil. Woo!
1: Oh, hot oh, shit. Uh, all right.
0: Let's get off to a good start. I'm going to write that down. I got three points to know. <laughs> I have an Excel spreadsheet. It's all above board. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. sure,
1: but I'm putting it on my whiteboard just the same.
0: So, th- oh, this is a pointless competition for the sake of pointless competition, but we do have a prize. I meant to run the prize by you all before we started the episode to make sure just everybody agreed to this prize. So hopefully this sounds appealing to everyone because it actually involves a slight work amount of work from the winner what the winner of the first ever dying message challenge gets to write and record an intro an intro for an upcoming episode of dying message
3: oh i thought it was going to be a bottle of louis the cognac
0: <laughs> if, I, if i thought only I, I had that i thought it was going to be
1: uh you have to build a scale model of this house
0: <laughs> uh y- you have to help us move <laughs> <laughs> into no you get the murder house. <laughs> you get to come up with the silly kind of murdery intros to the podcast and record it in your own voice and be heard by all of our listeners by Ooh.
1: millions
0: <laughs> rounding up to millions <laughs> uh that seems fine for me yeah let's do it all right let's start talking about the book it's Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. It was written in 1982. The book we read is an English translation of a revised Japanese edition from 2016, translated to English by Louise Hilkawai in 2019. The reason I mentioned the revised edition is because the book is set in Christmas 1983, but was originally published in 1982, which really confused me. So technically, this was sci-fi. <laughs> mm. Did anybody else notice that, or was it just me who, who noticed the date? I did not notice that at all.
1: I had only notice. the vaguest sense of it and mostly felt like this was a, a story that was like out of time. Like it, it felt simultaneously the 50s mm-hmm. and the 90s, yeah in a way that I didn't love, uh, though there are works that I do like like that. So, so, yeah, the early 80s tracks for that.
0: Well, they're conveniently in a house with no telephones, like, isolated by a storm. Right. There's no cell phones either. Oh, yeah, the telephone part threw
1: me, because at one point I noticed that they had to leave the house for a telephone, and I was like, well, when, when is this? I'm not going to look this up.
3: Well, there was a point at which they specifically said that uh, the owner of the house hates phones, so there are no phones in the oh, house, yeah. which I thought yeah. was an intentional setup, and it was.
1: Of course it was. <laughs>
0: Um, The author, Soji Shimada, has written about 20 novels. Uh, This is the second novel featuring the detective Kiyoshi Midarai, and the second book translated into English. So maybe this podcast will increase the popularity and they'll translate more books. We have that power? We'll find out. We'll find out. (laughs) Um, And the other thing I want to bring up is this movement, tradition, genre of Japanese mystery novels called Shin Honkaku, which was kind of inspired by Soji Shimada. He's called the godfather of these mystery novels. He wrote his books in the early 1980s, and then like in the later 1980s, people took what he was doing and ran with it. They're very logical, very puzzly. Often they involve locked-room murders. It's a mm-hmm. revival of the Honkaku style from the 30s. And um, I took a quote from Honkaku.com, which says that these mysteries value the spirits of fair play and logical reasoning, trying to like lay out all the clues so that, in theory, you can solve them. Which uh, is what you all have tried to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like in reading it, the way the clues were laid out, the way there are, there's lots of diagrams of crime scenes in the house. How does that kind of fit into this idea of a fair play mystery? I will say that I was like, as I was
3: moving through it, I took a lot of notes. I was like, oh yeah, that's a hint that's this. And I was like, I'm collecting all the pieces. And then I got to the point where I wasn't going to get any more information I had to solve. And I was like, I have so many pieces (laughs) and I don't necessarily know how they fit together.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I would say that maybe halfway through my reading, I thought to myself, I don't know what to make of all these details. And I'm kind of cynical when it comes to, I guess, stories like this. So I figured that it's mostly red herrings Mm -hmm. or otherwise intentionally confusing uh, pieces. So I just kind of threw it all away.
2: (laughs) I found the diagrams helpful, especially for the layout of this weird ass house. Um, Mm. I found myself constantly going back to that diagram to look at like, which stairway leads where and which room has doors to which side of the house. What I found weird was that the one, Uh, diagram that I wished was in the book wasn't there of that weird lock on room 14. They were like, oh, Mm. it's the most complicated lock ever. There's a diagram of everything else in the book, but not of
3: that. I feel like I I was also feeling that way, and I just chalked it up to they didn't want to actually show us the lock was impenetrable, they just wanted us to for
0: sure believe it was impenetrable. Hmm. That's how I felt about it. Very interesting. Uh uh Your talk of that diagram leads us perfectly into our next game. Which I like to call, he had a place for radio. Nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, you know, podcasts are such a new medium that I still am not sure if I'm providing my own laugh track or not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really. I actually wrote this script. I realized later, like putting in places where people would laugh for applause, but we don't have an audience, so it just, oh, leads, to, di- it just leads to it just leads to awkwardness. Would
2: you like us to applaud as you say, witty
0: thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I think uh, it's a little bit awkward as a good space for us to inhabit. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like my regular life.
2: I was going to say, it's like the title of my autobiography. A little bit
4: awkward.
0: So the layout of this house is very peculiar and visited throughout the book. It's called the Ice Flow Mansion because of its location on the northern coast of Japan. But the nickname is the Crooked House. So I want to read just a short description of part of the house. This is on page 16 and 17. There was nothing really unusual about the structure of the house and the tower. The interior resembled a maze in some ways, but it was nothing too complicated, and once you got your bearings, it wasn't likely that you would get lost more than a couple of times at most. The feature that caught the attention was exactly what gave it its local nickname, that from the very beginning it had been built crooked, or rather leaning at an angle. The main house leans at an angle of about 5 or 6 degrees off the vertical, not really enough to be obvious from the outside. On the other hand, the inside is quite bewildering. The building leans towards the south. Once your vision adjusts to the strange appearance of the rooms, you feel like a hard-boiled egg that has been dropped on the floor and is trying to roll uphill. It's a feeling that's difficult to imagine without having stayed at the mansion. The longer you stay, the more confused your mind becomes. So that gives you a little bit of the sense. Um, But one of the challenges of the podcast is that this book has a lot of diagrams and a lot of visual stuff, and we need to make sure it's engaging for people to listen to it. So what I'd like you to do is turn now to page 19, which is the diagram of the house that Kate was talking about. I'm going to give you each 30 seconds, which means I need to set a timer. We want 30 seconds on the clock. Um, I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds to describe the diagram using metaphors, figurative language, whatever else you can think of to try to make it interesting for our podcast listeners. And I will give points to whoever is the most interesting to listen to. Starting with Kate.
2: Hmm. The hot seat first. Um, your
0: time starts whenever you're ready
2: this uh, this house is like if if paul hollywood designed a house that was based off one of his really complex cakes that has like multiple layers and weird uh accessories on the outside like i don't even know it's like a cake next to a cake there's a round cake next to a large chunked cake and then he split it in half i don't this metaphor makes no sense but that's the first thought that came to my mind so here we
0: are I'm done now. Wonderful. That was just about 30 seconds. Perfect. I think, you know, one of the problems in Bake Off is when people make crooked cakes and they all just kind of slide apart. Or in Nailed It, maybe. It
2: would have to have wooden dowels in it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Next up is Michael. Okay. This house is like a
3: weird barn where the silo is the leaning tower of Pisa and the rest of it is this weird subdivided thing with a uh, weirdly symmetrical stairs and an incredibly complicated means of getting from one compartment of it to another
0: great neil have you ever
1: been to a salad bar perhaps at a whole foods or other grocery store then you'll understand what this house is like there's a lot of components that seem like they should fit together and in the grand scheme of things do because they're all under one roof but really it's just a weird hodgepodge, and certain things really don't make sense, even when you
0: start to lay them out next to each other. Wonderful. Three different metaphors. We had a cake, we had a barn, and we had a salad bar. I'm going to give three points to Kate, Yeah. one point to Michael, and two points to Neil. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are four things I want to call attention to in terms of the layout of the house. As with all the clues I present later on, I've picked them for various reasons. I expect that there are some stuff that I'm not mentioning that you all will mention. Some of the stuff that I'm not mentioning might not be important, but I wouldn't read too much into it. There's a whole bunch of rooms in this house. They all have a ventilation hole, which is a 20 centimeters square hole in the side of the room. That's about 8 inches squared. And they're in different sides, but you can see in the diagram and, and we'll mention where the holes are. The second thing is that there's two stairwells which don't connect except at the bottom floor. So if you want to get from like one side of the top floor to the other, you have to go all the way down and then all the way up again. The third thing is that the owner of the house lives in this tower. The bottom of the tower has no rooms in it. The only way to get to the tower is to go all the way up the east staircase and uh, crank down a lever, which makes the wall go down, which becomes a staircase that you climb up to the tower. And the last thing is that right next to the, the staircase to the tower, there are some rungs on the side of the building that you can climb up to the roof. So those are some things people should keep in mind.
1: Can I throw in a few things here? Am I allowed yeah, uh, yeah. on this game show? I would say that the ventilation holes in the rooms are visible on the diagram, but in a way that almost makes them seem like uh, glitches in in the PDF. And so it's only upon reading about them later and now looking back, I'm like, oh, I guess there, there are those ventilation holes shown in this incredibly strange diagram. Yeah. The other thing that I would like to call out is the flower bed that is fan shaped it's very important that it's fan shaped at the base of the tower um that comes into play later as i understand it but uh yeah wacky house to try to like conceive of even even with the diagram
4: Mm -hmm. uh
3: well we didn't mention that there are essentially four floors three of them are above ground and one is below ground Uh, of course uh so that's important because a lot of stuff happened in the basement yeah Oh, and also, one of the rooms can only be accessed uh, from stairs that are outside and can't be accessed any other
0: way. Yeah, who builds a house like that? A very rich man.
2: 10 and 11.
0: 10 and 11 can only be outside, accessed from outside. Oh, that's right, yeah, 11 yeah. as well.
2: I would also like to note, because I just went back and read that part, that the tower is made of glass with like aluminum yeah. coating, so it's like a sci-fi rocket ship looking thing <laughs> that's like mirrored.
0: They keep comparing it to the Leaning Tower of Pisa because it leans.
3: Yeah, yeah, and we only know what's at the very top. Whatever's going on inside the base has not been revealed to us, if it ever will.
1: Uh, the the part I liked about the Leaning Tower of Pisa comparison was that the Leaning Tower of Pisa is at approximately a 5.5 degree angle. This tower is meant to be exactly at that angle. Yeah. And it's like, what, what, is it approximate or is it not? Like, What, is, what are we doing here?
0: There's even a note on the copyright page about how, like, all of the details regarding the Leaning Tower of Pisa were accurate as of the first pin- printing or whatnot. Oh, man. Could it be leaning more every year? It might. Who knows? Fall over someday? Oh, no. You need more tourists to take those pictures <laughs> where they're holding it up.
2: i thought one other interesting detail about the house is that all the stairs are made of metal except for one that's made of wood
0: yeah oh is that not reverse true
3: i thought that was reverse true
0: no the stairs that go from the salon which is like the main hangout area up to the next landing are wood and the rest are metal oh i wrote down the exact opposite so i
3: don't know what the truth is but i'll i'll defer to you two who are i
2: have okay so i made a note of this in my book i'm trying to find it now Because I found it interesting why he explains that he built his house like this. And he says it's because he like really admired this prison. Oh, yes.
1: The Italian, Italian prison. Which I
2: found um, an interesting design choice. I can't find what page it's on. I'll, I'll yell real loud when I find it.
0: There is this weird amount of separation between the different bedrooms. Like nothing's connected. Mm hmm. In the house. And frankly, the
3: way they end up being stuck here for days and days, it practically is a prison.
2: Oh, it's on page 117. He says, I kind of like that grim, gloomy effect. I love the copper plate prints of the Italian artist Giovanni Battista
1: Piranesi. Some really strange details in those books. There's
4: so much European history.
1: Yeah, yeah he
0: was a portrayer of imaginary prisons. I think part of that is also the that their influence for these kinds of murder mysteries also came from Europe and the West. So, like, this is, like, a Western-style mansion, mm-hmm. very deliberately.
1: Oh, another thing about this house general setup is that it seems like it's supposed to be this kind of retreat, but not a comfortable one, because every almost every room is cold, despite the double-paned windows um, that are mentioned oddly frequently. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just, it's hard to get my mind around, is this supposed to be a place that's welcoming to guests, or just fine
0: we'll definitely talk about the room that's most heated yeah any other thoughts on the house
3: uh well there's two like mechanical aspects of the house that haven't been mentioned yet one is that uh so in the west wing of the house there are essentially these two l-shaped corridors that are sort of where the steps are and we're told that there's like a a small like few centimeter gap between the south wall and Mm -hmm. where these floors begin you can kind of see it in the picture too yeah they the When asked about it, uh, the owner of the house writes it off as, like, a mistake that he was like, it's fine. But who knows? Yeah. Right? And the other is that we've mentioned the the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is the owner of the house's bedroom at the top. The only way you can access it is by, like, lowering this ridiculous metal drawbridge from the top of the house. right? Which can only be accessed through one
0: room. Well, through, like, that hallway. It's pretty bizarre. Shall we move on and meet some of the characters in this novel? This is our last game before we start talking about these murders and and start hearing your all solutions. Um, This game is called Ice Flow Mansion Breakers. And I will award a bonus point to anyone who can come up with a better name for this game. (laughs) Because I struggled. So on page seven and eight, there's a list of all the characters in the book. I ask each of you to be prepared to introduce one set of characters. Kate, you're introducing the residents of the house. Neil, you're introducing the guests. And Michael, you have the investigators. Mm -hmm. What I would like you to do You'll each introduce the characters as if you are that character introducing themselves at a party, kind of like what happens in the book, by stating the character's name, their basic role slash relationship, and their interesting fact. This can be made up. Their interesting fact. Okay. Here's an example. Hello, my name is Sherlock Holmes. I'm a famous detective throughout London here to solve the murder, and I've always had a crush on Watson, but I worry he doesn't like me back.
2: Ooh. With saucy.
0: That's an example. Um, So I'll have each of you do one, and then I'll give you points- for those that set, and then you'll do another set. I'll give you points, and we'll keep going until we're all done. I know you have different numbers of them. Oops. Oh, no. (laughs) Whoa, wait a (laughs) a second. Disadvantage. (laughs) Neil has the most, I think. Oh. Kate, you'll go first, then Michael, then Neil, and we'll keep going in that order. So, Kate, you'll you'll do one character, then Michael does one character, then Neil does one character, then I'll give everybody points or not, then we'll do another round, and we'll keep going until we've done them all.
2: Are voices encouraged?
0: Um, voices are neither encouraged nor required, but allowed. Okay. If, you wa- if you'd like.
2: I'm not no. going to attempt any accents, but I, you know, voices.
0: I love it. <laughs> All right. So, Kate, take it off with your first character.
2: Um, yes, I'm Kozaburo Hamamoto. I'm the owner of the Ice Flow Mansion and president of Hama Diesel, I am really into prisons and weird houses. That's me.
3: Michael? Hello, I'm Saburo Ushikoshi. I am the detective chief inspector for the Sapporo Police Department. And I sometimes feel like my job is to wrangle a bunch of idiots.
1: Neil? Uh, Hello, my name is Aikichi Kikuoka. Uh, I'm the president of Kikuoka Bearings. I've known Mr. Hamamoto for about 10 years. And uh, gosh, I'm really into uh, younger women.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you sure are a Kichi Kikuoka. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how I'm going to score this, but you each get one point for those. All right, next round, Michael. Oh, I'm first. Or right. no, uh, we'll keep going in the same order. Kate.
2: Hi, I'm Aiko Hamamoto. I'm Kozaburo's daughter, and I have a giant stick up my ass. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Michael. Hi, I'm Detective Sergeant Ozaki from the Sapporo City Police Department. And uh, check me out on my website, uh, www.eattherich.jp. <laughs> Neil.
1: Hi, my name is Kumi Aikura. I'm Mr. Kikuoka's secretary and lover. I'm really into um, yeah, paintings of yachts and uh, rich guys.
0: All right. Um, two points to Kate, one and a half each to Michael and Neil. <laughs> <laughs> <Rough>. <laughs> Kate. Um, Hello, I'm
2: Kohei Hayakawa. I'm the live-in butler and chauffeur. Uh, I have no interesting qualities about me whatsoever, except that I once had a daughter who died.
3: Michael? Hi, I'm Detective Inspector Okuma from the Wakana Police Station, and in addition to being a hick, I once described myself as the most uninteresting kind of person in the world. And
1: Neil? Hi, I'm Kazuya Ueda. Uh, I am Mr. Kikuoka's chauffeur, and um, I used to be in the military, and now I drive a car.
0: All right. Uh, those were all one-pointers for me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fair. Rude. <laughs> Next round. Kate?
1: I am
2: Chikako Hayakawa. I am Kohei's wife and live-in housekeeper. I'm sorry, did you ask me to do something? Let me go run and do it immediately.
3: <laughs> Michael? Hi, I'm Constable Banana, I mean Anon, I'm from the Wakanae police station, uh, and I don't know guys, I think I might be really super good at billiards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you might be. Neil?
1: Hello, uh, my name is Michio Kanai, uh, I'm an executive at Kikuoka Bearings, uh, so I work for Mr. Kikuoka, whom we met earlier, and um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm here to uh, kiss ass and take names.
0: So that round I gave two to Michael and one to Kate and Neil? Uh next up is Kate again.
2: Hey uh I'm Haruo Kajiwara. Um I'm a live in chef. I uh my interests include cooking and uh watching TV in my room. Cause I can watch TV in my own room, man.
3: Michael. Hi, I'm Kiyoshi Miturai. I am a fortune teller, <laughs> a psychic, and a self-style detective. And oh I'm just getting I'm just getting has anyone does anyone have a parent? In this room, I'm feeling like some parent energy over here.
0: (laughs) Yes, we all have parents. Thank you, (laughs) Kiyoshi. Neil? Hello. uh,
1: I am Mrs. Kanai, Hatsue Kanai. Um, I'm here with my husband, and I guess I will begin my diet on New Year's Day.
0: (laughs) All right. One and a half points to Kate and Michael. One point to Neil. (laughs) So many half points. (laughs) You know.
1: It's killing me that I'm at ten and a half.
0: You sure are. Uh, Next, um, Kate is out. So, Michael, you're next. Kate is out because she's out of characters. Mm -hmm, mm
3: -hmm. I approached the microphone and introduced myself as Kazumi Ishioka. I felt it was necessary (laughs) to switch the perspective into first person for my entire time in the room.
1: (laughs) Very nice. Uh, I'm so glad we've dealt with this so early on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Neil? Uh,
1: Hello, my name is uh, Shun Sasaki. Uh, I'm a student at GK University School of Medicine, and, um, well, I'm pretty
0: smart. All right, Neil, I'll give you what a half point to bring you up to 11. <sighs> Thank God. And I'll give Michael two points. All right, Neil, you have two left, so bring those uh, out for us. And if anybody else wants to try to trump him by coming up with a more interesting fact, you can try to steal the points.
1: All right. Uh, I am Masaki Togai. I'm a student at Tokyo University, and... Yes, I am of that Togai family.
0: (laughs) Anybody for the steal? Nope. All right, Neil, next one.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hello, uh, my name is uh, Yoshihiko Hamamoto. I'm a student as well at Keio University, and I'm the grandson of Mr. Hamamoto's brother. I am generally forgettable, I think, in terms of uh, everything here.
3: Ah, that's what I was gonna do to steal it.
2: Can I go back to one?
1: Yeah,
3: what do you
2: got? Uh, I would just like to jump in as Togai saying that I am dating Aiko, but also Sasakai saying I am dating Aiko, and I'm going to marry her.
0: I'll give you a point for that. Uh, Neil also gets a point for that last round, or I guess it's two point because there were two of them. Hooray. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Great, great job, everyone. You hit on a lot of things. Many of which will be funny to people that haven't read the book. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> what are some, like, important standout things regarding just these characters in general?
2: Um, I uh, said that Iko has a giant stick up her ass because she seems to dislike everyone and everything, and everyone else dislikes her.
0: Well, she's also specifically, like, goading people on yes. and kind of picking she's, at
2: like, them. She's, like, super uh, terrible to Kumi, and, like... Yeah. is really obsessed with the idea of people not being immoral in her house.
1: Oh, yes. Which
2: I find interesting.
1: There's a lot of um sex shaming going on yes. in general.
2: There's a lot of, like, cat fighting behavior, which I don't know if I appreciate all the women hating each other.
1: Oh, yeah. A couple words show up where I'm like, I wasn't expecting yeah. this word in this book. I feel gross.
3: It's a lot of mid-80s Japanese version of, like, the Real Housewives of L.A. energy going on, for sure. Yeah, totally.
1: Real Crooked Housewives of Hokkaido. Do I get a point for
0: that? <laughs> uh, Neil, you're currently in the lead, so no. No.
1: <laughs> I'm writing it down for later though. <laughs> Great.
0: Yeah, I think we'll definitely talk about some of these characters more as we as we discuss the murder, but I want to I want to check in on the scores, which I just alluded to. Okay. Neil you're at 13 points, Kate at 12 and a half, Michael at 12. Mm. Ooh, so close. Tight, so tight close. Tight. All right. It's time for our first detective challenge. There's no murder like snow murder. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh Uh huh. Noah, you
0: are nothing if not consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Noah is thriving off the awkward energy right now. It is giving him life.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, please email better names for any of these games to us. You can email us at dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com. So uh, this is the first person that got murdered. Let me fill everyone in on the circumstances of the crime. The first murder victim is Ueda, the chauffeur for Kikuoka who is the president of um, not the main company, but the side company. The murder happens the very first night everyone is in the house. Next morning, he doesn't come to breakfast. They go to find him, but the door is locked. Break it open, and there he is dead. So I will read a short passage from my page 74. This is some of the investigators discussing some of the clues in the body. The position of the body was hardly something unusual as far as we are concerned, said Ushikoshi. It's obviously agony to have a knife stuck into you. Kazuya Ueda was in terrible pain. I've heard of cases where the victims died in all kinds of convoluted poses. As for the string, I've heard of cases where someone was lightly dressed for summer and had no pockets to hide a knife in, so tied it to his body instead. Everyone had the same immediate thought. But it's winter. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so let me share you some of the clues so that that now has context. Uedo was in room 10, which you, like we mentioned earlier, you can only access from outside of the house, a door on the west side of the house. There's no windows, secret walls, or any other ways into the room. He was stabbed with a knife. The knife has a piece of string attached. The time of his death was between 12 and 12.30. Staff locked the doors at 10.30 p.m. and the snow stopped at 11.30. So it seems like he was, someone somehow got out of the house and threw the snow uh, after that. There were no tracks in the snow. Near the stairs to his room, there's a disassembled wooden doll called Golem, although its head is found much further away. One of many pieces in uh, the owner of the house's weird collection. Another thing was Sasaki noticed some wooden stakes outside around dinnertime, just set into the snow, vertically perpendicular to the ground, one in the southwest near where the doll was found, one in the southeast near the salon door, which is the way that the murderer probably went outside. The body was found handcuffed to the bed. Its shape is odd, and there's a, a dot of blood on the ground near its butt. I'll let you all talk about the door locking mechanism. The floors slant towards the south wall. It has a ventilation hole in the southeast corner which opens up out into the stairwell so it's very high above the ground where the ventilation thing opens up. In the room, there's metal shot puts with tags. One has an extra long piece of string And then there's this other incident that happened the night before. Were you saying the night of the murder? The night before the body was discovered.
3: Right. Okay, so, Kumi was in her room, sleeping... Well, unsuccessfully not sleeping in room one, and she was either awakened or noticed a a weird noise, like nails scraping across a surface at about one o'clock in the morning by her watch. Uh, This happened a second time, followed by two much louder noises, like two objects rubbing together. And then... Uh, at her window appeared a bearded, craze-eyed face with dark marks on its cheeks like frostbite. And it sort of hung out there when she heard the sound of a male's voice screaming, uh, which prompted her to scream. Uh, and then Eiko and
0: Kozaburo uh, sort of descended upon her room to find out what was going on. And also Michio Kanai comes meet a you, little later. Yeah. Great. So my questions about this murder are, who killed Ueda? How did they do it? Why did they do it? What is the significance of that incident that occurred outside Kumi's window? Let's let's talk about it, and then I will get your official guesses.
2: I am going to just go ahead and take credit for the one thing I figured out in this book, even though they told it to us later, which is that I guessed that the Gollum puppet was what uh, Kumi saw in her window.
3: Right. Yeah, me too.
2: Oh Well, I'm, I'm glad everyone guessed.
3: Well, so I was actually, at first, I was like, it's either that or it's one of the Tengu masks. But then, yeah, it became more obvious it was the doll as time went
0: on. Tell me more about the Tengu mask, someone.
2: Oh, um, what's his face? Uh, Hamamoto has a room. Oh, we didn't talk about this part of the house. No, we so didn't. So there's a room in the house that has, it's the only room that has a window facing inside. Yeah. So it's. In the hallway, and it has this big sliding glass window that goes into a room where he keeps all these artifacts that he collects, mm-hmm. including, I don't know, did he say the whole room is full of the Tengu masks? Or there's like at least one wall that's right. covered.
3: So he, it's like he had one, and everyone heard he liked them, so they started sending him Tengu masks, and he just sort of collected them by accident.
0: The south wall is covered in Tengu masks.
3: Yeah, now a Tengu uh, is basically this Japanese folklore figure, it's kind of like a bird goblin person. Uh, they're typically depicted as being red-faced, having long noses, a uh, kind of black wings or black wings on their arms, and wearing these weird sort of gaita sandals that like elevate them off the ground a bit.
2: I googled what it looked like, and I actually thought it was familiar. Like I've seen it in museums or yeah.
1: somewhere. Uh, I was not. It's a very popular it, kabuki character. A different mask image as well. entirely, and uh, now feel like a fool for not using Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that. It, that this is one of the most complicated murder descriptions that I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There are so many specific details.
3: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I didn't even, like, I had grand plans of trying to to dissect every little bit of it, and in the end I just ignored about half of it, because it would have driven me insane trying to figure out why. Why was those things?
2: Honestly, the description of the murder made me think that the solution... Like it could be something that makes total sense with all the clues, or it could be like an angel flew down from heaven and
4: morphed uh-huh. a
2: key that fit in the lock, and then like <laughs> such a yeah, ridiculous yeah. setup that I I would honestly not yeah. surprise yeah. by anything.
1: I think this speaks to something I was kind of talking about earlier, which is like because I'm not familiar with this kind of mystery novel, I didn't know what to expect in terms of what was like fair game and right. explanation and what was not. Uh, and so, at a couple of points, I wrote down like occult question mark question mark magic question mark question mark. Because for all I know, yeah, there's lots of it going on. Uh, but for all I know, it's as straightforward as something else. So,
0: having read to the end of the book, I will say it's intended to be like real world solution, not bringing in magic or demons or or things like that.
4: Okay,
2: but it could be a twelfth person in the house.
3: The, the cops should certainly talk about that a lot.
2: And their obsession with that idea is uh, uh, fascinating.
0: Yeah. And you certainly can kind of talk about, towards your suspicions and what you think it might be. Well, then I can say,
3: and I was pretty proud of this because I think it's accurate, that there was a lot of talk about whether or not the pose of his body was significant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, he, his legs were twisted in a very specific way. Uh, and his arms were sort of up above his head in, like, a Y shape. And I think that this is a just slightly, like, modified, like someone changed it after he died. Uh, besides that, a dying message that he has left. Uh-huh. Uh, so I th- I know that he was in, th- in the military, and I think he was attempting t- to communicate the initials of his killer using semaphore. Mm. Uh, his arms being one position, and his legs, if you viewed him upside down, being the other position. That was my conclusion. But because his arm was then... After his death tied to the bedpost, I think it was forcibly changed
0: that way. Interesting. Did anyone else have thoughts about the, the weird shape of the body?
1: Uh, I was reminded of episode five of uh, the Dying Message podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wherein I appeared and the, the body was in a strange uh, shape there. Oh, the suitcase. The suitcase. It was the suitcase situation. And so when I read this little description of like things being out of whack, I was like, I've seen this before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was moved after being murdered. Mm
1: -hmm. At a theater, that's right. (laughs) Oops, I spoiled the other podcast
0: episode. Yeah, that's okay. It's before this in the continuity. Yeah. Any other big things from this murder before I have you all uh, log your official guesses?
2: Yeah, I got nothing. I don't know the significance of the body. (laughs) Um, It's a weird one. There's a lot going on here.
0: Yeah. So... Official guess is uh, Neil. You first.
1: Yeah, uh, you you said earlier, Noah, that I'm the wild card of this show, and I'm gonna stick to that. Uh, I'm gonna go with Kumi. <laughs> I think Kumi did it.
0: Okay. How and why?
1: Um, knife stuff. Uh, and why? Uh, because of fighting for the attention
0: of um their boss. And uh, what what is the deal with like the night before when she saw the thing and screamed? Or the night of the murder. Oh, um, it's a cover. Nobody else was in her room. So how do they know where she was screaming? All right. I have been non-literally inscribing your official guesses into the official Dying Message Challenge handbook. Michael, you're up next. Okay. I believe the murderer was Kozaburo Hamamoto. So this is a lot.
3: So I think (laughs) he lowered the drawbridge from his tower and then used the metal rings to climb up to the top of the roof. He then has a mechanism uh, in the slanted house by which he can either raise this sloped southern roof or tilt out the southern wall entirely, uh, widening the gaps between floors that we know exist. He then, uh, using that gap, dragged the golem statue up from its display room Uh uh, using a cord. And then this is the part where I'm a little more vague. He used it, like, as a counterweight for some kind of mechanism in the room that I really don't know the specific specifics of that involved using uh, its arm, uh, holding the knife, and, like, jamming it in, like, either dropping it uh, as a weight, or he used it as a counterweight to dro- drop down there himself. I don't know which one of those is true, or if either of them is true. Uh, and then, as a result of that mechanism, uh, the doll was flung off the side of the building and dangled in front of Kumi's room, and then dropped Uh, And then uh, Ueda, uh, using his body, attempted to communicate a a U with his arms, but this was modified because his arm was tied to the bed, so it was dragged up and changed that letter. And then his legs definitely form a U. No, his legs form an H. He was attempting to communicate UH. No, again, cut that out. Uh, (laughs) He was attempting to communicate KH, uh, but his arms were changed to form a U uh so kozabora hamamoto did we do why so i think it's combination like practice uh like to make sure his mechanism worked he also wanted to make sure there were police in the house so he would have a sound alibi for the murder the following evening maybe ueda was involved in the murder or death of yoshie uh, the hayakawa's daughter who was killed in a traffic accident after fa- a falling out with uh-huh, kikuoka uh-huh. Mm-hmm. because we know that ueda is kikuoka's driver She was killed in a traffic accident, and we don't know the specifics of that traffic accident. Uh, And then just at one point in the story he had mentioned, he had told this whole story about his friend who had, like, driven trains every 10 minutes over the tracks to keep them clear of snow. Right. And it's possible he he also wanted to use the mechanism uh, after the snow got to a certain height to clear the snow off of it so it would continue to work the following evening. That's everything I got there. Neat. Uh, Maybe you're the wild card. (laughs) Oh, and the significance uh, of the previous evening was basically the scraping sound was the golem being risen, the louder scraping noise was it flying across the roof, and obviously it dangled in front of her window. So cool. That's the most elaborate thing i possibly kind of half
0: figured out for this whole thing. Uh, I think think you're onto something, though. (laughs) I like a, a a a lot of the details that you kind of string together. Very neat. Kate, what's your guesses?
2: Okay, um... I am operating under the assumption that none of my guesses are right. So I'm just going to have fun with it. Love it. I also think it's uh, Kozaburo Hamamoto.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Okay, so I think that he went and committed the murder for shits and giggles because he was a little too delighted when they were in the Tengu room later about how scared Kumi was. So I think he just Mm. likes to mess with people and apparently murder them using one of his mechanical dolls. That's what I think uh, allowed him to to complete all of these murders. Oh, I just revealed that I think he did all of them.
1: Oops. That's okay. What? Only one murderer?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that he was responsible for the golem in front of Kumi's room. I think that was Aiko just like fucking with her. Um, because she's got this grudge for whatever reason that I, uh, that Kumi's the mistress of, uh, Kikuoka. I think that was Aiko fucking with Kumi, but I think it was Kozaburo who murdered Ueda. I don't know. There were just some things about it that I feel like only somebody with an intricate knowledge of that house would be able to do. Mm. Maybe he's got a second key. I haven't worked out all the details, but those are my thoughts. Oh, and then I think Iiko uh, flung the golem into the snow because she could.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, three different things: um, some agreement, some disagreement, some overlap, some lack of overlap. So for now, I'm going to close the official dying message challenge logbook, which is a metaphor, and we're going to take a break with a quick challenge. This one is called "Murder in the Booked House." Womp. Oh, so, boy. Ugh. I would say that the book is a little bit divisive in terms of people's opinions on Amazon. So I'm gonna read you a one-star review from Amazon by a person named Gerald O'Malley. I then want you to continue his review by contributing your own insult to the book. Based on what you know so far, best insult wins. The title of the review is Absolutely Implausible, Ludicrous, and Boring. Here's what he writes. Wow. Didn't think it was possible to write such an impossibly dense and unreadable mystery. The most mysterious thing about this mystery is how anyone can stay awake to make it to the finish. I came so close to tossing this thing in the fireplace, but it became almost like the book was challenging me to finish it. Almost like the book was saying, I'm such an incredibly implausible and complicated story with such an absurd premise, too many characters who do absolutely nothing, and a patently insulting conclusion that I dare you to finish me. I took the dare, finished the book, and I'm not a better person for it. This book is an insult to books. All right, Michael, what insult would you like to add to injury? Uh,
3: There was all this talk about Christmas, but nobody got any presents.
1: (laughs) All right, Neil. I'm not even sure that this house would be up to Japanese architectural safety code. All right, Kate.
2: Did the author even have the solution in his head when he was writing the first part? (laughs) Shade. That came out way more mean than I meant it to. For someone who doesn't even know the solution yet.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, How haughty. I'm going to give three points to Neil, two points to Kate, and one and a half points to Michael. Ugh.
2: I mean, the reviewer said it was an insult to books, so I felt like I had to be fitting with that mentality.
3: Yeah, yeah. Jab a hunting knife
0: into the right side of my back or go back. (laughs) No, no, I appreciate you. Okay, so that brings us to our second detective challenge. Our second detective challenge is called All Locked Up and Nowhere to Flow. Mm. (laughs) So here's the circumstances of the crime. Uh, The police are still investigating the first murder, so most guests stay up late together in the salon. Kikuoka is one of the first to go to bed. When he doesn't come to breakfast the next morning, they have to break down the door to find another shocking murder scene. Here is a passage from page 167. When the door finally opened, the semicircle of onlookers gasped. It wasn't only the sofa. The coffee table was overturned, too. Beyond that lay the bulky, pajama-clad form of Ikichi kichi kikuoka. There were clear signs that he'd fought, but now he laid face down, a knife protruding from the right side of his back. Mr. Kikuoka, cried Kozaburo. Mr. President, this from Kanai. Daddy, blurted Kumi. That's what I chose to read. Yep. Yep. Now for some of the clues. So he was killed by a knife to the right side of his back with enough force that it was buried to the hilt the knife had a piece of string tied to it like the first this door has a super complicated locking mechanism you push a button on the knob and then there's a bolt at the top and bottom that have to be rotated into place the door needed to be broken down coffee table and the sofa were overturned in front of the door this room that he was in is room number 14 it's the study it's in the bottom floor southwest corner doesn't have windows, It has four chairs inside, small and uncomfortable, unmovable bed that he was sleeping on. It's the hottest room in the house. Its ventilation hole, again, this is like eight inches squared, is in the southeast corner of the room. Standing on a table outside near the stairs, you can just barely see the bed underneath the hole. Now, the timing of the murder is complicated, I guess. He was killed within 30 minutes of 11 p.m. At 10.30, the start of that window, Hamamoto The owner of the house and Ushikoshi, the inspector, came down and knocked on the door and got no response. At 11.30 at the end of that window, the staff all went downstairs to their bedroom and didn't see anybody outside the door. Um, So roughly at the time of the crime, we expect that Ushikoshi was up in the tower with Hamamoto up in his bedroom up there. Kumi, Eiko, and the two kanaïs were the people in their room, and everybody else was in the salon together. But with the layout of the house, only the husband and wife, the kanaïs, could get to the room 14 without walking through the salon and then there's this weird noise that we learn about later the chef was standing in the kitchen and heard a noise like a snake slithering amongst the sounds of the snowstorm around the time of the murder so my questions are who killed kikuoka how did they do it why did they do it and what is the significance of the strange noise heard by the staff
3: i thought it was, it was real significant like before uh, kikuoka went to bed uh, Kozaboro was like, did you get that sleeping medication? Yeah. Do you have enough sleeping medication? Oh, yeah. You should take twice as much sleeping medication. And I was like, come on, man.
2: <laughs> I would also like to point out that I am immature and was tickled by uh, one of the inspectors saying someone got up to no good with that open hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. That's the kind of deductive content we're looking for. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
2: Um, this one I felt like was in some ways harder to figure out than uh the first one but also mm-hmm. I, I won't get into my theories i thought it was interesting that someone uh had flowers delivered right before they found him and oops, oh, yeah. the vase fell on the floor right in the crime scene
3: yeah that mm-hmm. was like come on man come on with this vase yeah. <laughs> Oops, I, I
1: put a, the ouchies on the corpse. I had these flown in overnight right? for no reason. But other
3: than the house is
2: bleak <laughs> without flowers in the winter.
1: Uh, I want to talk about the hunting knives. Uh, I didn't realize that there was such a knife-based hunting tradition in northern Japan. Oh,
0: I didn't look this up.
3: I uh, well, know. I think hunting knives are typically for skinning animals after you've killed them through other means, I
1: think. Uh, I, that's a good point. That's a good point.
3: I had to do that once. It's not a, it's not a great memory.
1: Yeah. Still, Of of all the things, like it's not like there's a knife room, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: um, or that, like, somebody's a, a knife juggler. I would like to see that book, though. The knife juggler.
0: Someone is in this mansion hunting for the most dangerous game.
2: Juggler. Also, this is the one with the obnoxious lock on the door, which I can't even really picture, but I do know that it has... A button lock and then there's something about two cylinders that lock into place
3: yeah. i feel i think it's something like a vault door where there's like a bar that that shoves another bar into the door frame at the top and bottom or something like that that's what i was picturing
1: oh another thing that like, stood out to me right around the time of the um the mention of like the sleeping pills was the electric blanket discussion yes mm-hmm. yeah this is like uh kumi how about that electric blanket that you've got huh and she's like, uh-huh. uh huh. And I'm like, wait, there's more sentences about electric blankets in this um, book than I really bargained for.
0: <laughs> they have a um, product placement deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Snuggy.
2: We all knew when. Kozaburo went to go check on him, and he didn't answer the door. That he was dead, right?
4: Yes. Like we yeah. maybe or, not. He, I don't know. if He sleep. was dead
2: then, but we know that that's you know.
3: Yeah, no one was thinking this guy's probably gonna live through the night.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah.
3: And there was also that wonderful moment where where Kumi just like offhandedly shouted "Daddy," which called back Daddy. to their conversation where she was like call, trying to call him "Daddy," and he was uh, like, "Please, for the love, God, don't God, love come of God, stop calling me Daddy, go buy me something. I'll feel bad. Like, ugh.
2: Can I also? (laughs) This may not be relevant at all, but I would just like to spend a moment talking about the conversation between the Kanais.
0: Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Oh,
2: my God. I was dying. I don't think I was supposed to be laughing at this, but it was. (laughs) First of all, this guy is obsessed with getting diabetes, which I don't really understand why he's obsessed.
3: Yes. He has diabetes. Apparently
2: diabetes, or Kikuoko was obsessed with getting diabetes, and then Mr. Kanai has it. Does diabetes make you unable to have sex? Because that seems to be the implication.
1: Uh, I I can imagine it being related.
2: Okay. And that was a fact I never knew, so you learned something. Yeah.
3: yeah. Also, I feel like in a like, sort of folklore not real medicine kind of way, Japanese culture has this, like, anything wrong with your health will affect your virility kind of... Ah, well, that makes uh, sense. Culture, I don't know. Yeah.
2: um And I just would like to also add that from now on and forevermore, when I dislike someone, I'm going to refer to them as a limp stick of celery. Because that <laughs> insult is my favorite ever. So funny. I don't understand it, but I loved it.
0: That conversation was a lot... I read this part of the book twice and the second time i was like oh i'm reading this again (laughs) (laughs) here it is there was also like this
3: sort of i don't know if it's important or not i didn't none of my guesses involve it being important Uh but where uh kanai's wife maybe was like one of uh, kikuoka's mistresses right and then he would he introduced them to each other after he was like done with her which is very uncomfortable it gives both of them a motive right
1: maybe yeah
2: I also love the um that they call Kikawoka the wilting old chrysanthemum. I would imagine these are maybe like translational differences, but they still made me laugh a lot when I was reading
1: <laughs> yeah i I made a couple notes about like how much there are these odd phrasings where I can't tell if it's stylistic or something about the translation or I'm missing something entirely uh, about why why there are certain phrasings.
0: So let me hear. Your guesses. Michael, if you could give us your theories first this time.
3: My theories first? Yes. Oh, just going first. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I believe this second murder,
3: as follows my first murder and uh-huh. all my reasons for it, uh, as the murderer being Kozaburo Hamamoto. That guy. Okay. So I think what we have here is a classic uh, uh, time of death trick. So I know, just incidentally, that sleeping medicine lowers your blood pressure. Uh, it was pointed out repeatedly that Kikuoka was stabbed in the back, missing his heart, instead of hitting his heart. So I believe the intention was for him to slowly bleed out over time, delaying his time of death. So he was stabbed sometime before 10 o'clock, and then Kozaburo used something like the method that I didn't fully describe in the first murder, because I only guessed part of it, where it involved the doll being a counterweight or being something he drops, and the roof or wall, like, opening like a mechanism. Uh, and so he used that to stab him and he bled out over time. And while he was bleeding out, uh, he literally was like, Hey cop, be my friend. I'm scared. And this, this is where he wanted the cops there to be an extra special alibi. So he literally brought a cop to a, to the door while he was dying and like, Oh, he's asleep. Oh, well come be in my bedroom with me, uh, while he dies. And then I also just as like a little sub note, I was like, I didn't figure out the full mechanism, but I believe in some way uh, there was no vase found, at least according to the diagram, in Kikuoka's room after the death. So I think that somehow by like accident or as part of the mechanism of the death, uh, the vase in Kikuoka's room was was broken onto Kikuoka so he would have like vase bits on him. So Kozoboro sort of like ad hoc was like, Well, I have to solve this, so I'll order these flowers to be flown in, and I'll have Eiko sort of, like, run about filling them, and I'll make sure I've got one with me so that I can run into the room and drop it on him, and, you know, cover up my one mistake. Hmm. The why would be—it's kind of vague for me on the why, because this is where I'm kind of running out of ideas, but essentially, if Yoshie is somehow significant enough to him, like, either he really cares about his staff— Or maybe for some reason Yoshie was actually Kozaburo's daughter and he was having a relationship with his housekeeper. I don't know. Uh, But basically as further revenge for what happened to Yoshie, since if Ueda carried it out, it was under Kikuoka's orders. Uh, And then the question you asked was what was the significance of the strange noise heard by the staff? And since Golem wasn't found in a weird position, my theory for this was that Golem was being lowered back into his his display so that he would be in place the next yeah, morning.
0: Yeah, which is roughly above the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lovely. All right. I've written that down in my logbook. Um, Kate.
2: So I've already revealed that I think it's Kozaboro who did all of the orders. I think that he had one of his weird... Mecha- the mechanical dolls are just too emphasized to be completely meaningless There's also mention of, like, a a spring-loaded rifle or something, like, making the knife a projectile into his back. So I feel like there's some uh, mechanical doll situation that's been rigged up. Maybe he, like, hit it up the chimney. I don't know. I'm really not very good at solving these, is the conclusion we can all draw. I think he did it because, I don't know, Kikuoko is kind of a sleazebag, and uh, maybe he was trying to get with Aiko. And... Uh, Kozaboro wasn't wasn't a fan.
3: Oh, I didn't think of that aspect.
2: I don't know. Aiko talks a lot about how she's the same age or close to the same age as Kumi.
3: So... Oh, now you've got me thinking about how much
1: she hated Kumi. Oh, I didn't think yeah, about any so of that much. At all. So much hate for Kumi.
3: And,
2: yeah, other than that, I have no idea what the mechanics are. They're also very insistent that there's only one key to the room. But I feel like uh-huh. Kozoburo could easily have had another key that, like, they didn't know about or something. Um, that... Seems too easy, but those are my theories.
0: Great, I will mark those down. Some uh, things that were getting uh, responses from other people in there. Uh, Neil,
1: great, uh, <laughs> wild card Neil. I had down Mister Hayakawa, motive being a revenge for his daughter's death, and uh, in terms of method, it's uh, you know he he knows this house inside and out. And he's he's able to jury rig up something that nobody else can quite figure out that's that's Mm -hmm. what i got (laughs) i am i i am terrible at these i really am
0: (laughs) any any thought on the sound heard by the staff
1: oh um i don't know it's there's so much about string that to me it's a string thing string thing great this is my
0: string theory (laughs) wop 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 well Boy, I am having a ton of fun with this. I hope you all are, too. (laughs) Uh, So I've got a quick little challenge before we move on to the final um, murder. It's a quick-fire elimination challenge that I like to call Last Person Slanting. Oh,
3: no, I'm going to lock up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.
0: So the crooked house is built on a slant, and all the floors are slanted. I want you all rapid-fire to give me things you could slash would do if you had a house with slanted floors. What are the benefits of building a house oh. this way? We'll start with Kate, then Michael, then Neil, and we'll keep going through. If you take too long to answer or your answer is just nonsense, I will eliminate you, and the last person slanting wins. Cool. All right, ready, set, go. Uh,
2: indoor sledding.
3: Uh, fun time water slide in the bathroom. Uh, mop the
1: floor more efficiently.
2: Cheat at marbles.
1: Cheat at bowling. Make a model train set that is next to a, quote, mountain. Train for
2: mountain climbing.
3: Do a really cool Domino's Knockdown YouTube video. Uh, Learn more
1: about what a protractor is.
2: Learn to dance like Michael Jackson.
3: Buy the children Hot Wheels.
1: Uh, Do those, like, marble painting things that you did as kids, but instead of using uh, a handheld thing, you got a floor.
0: Um... I'm, I'm, that's the second one with marbles. I mean, there's oh. been some like close follow-ups already. So you know, I'm a very impartial judge. But Neil, you're out.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh,
0: Kate, keep it going.
2: Um, racing um, the cups.
3: Uphill jogging in the comfort of my own home.
2: A quick way to get rid of trash.
3: Being really impressive at cartwheels without really trying.
2: Uh, work on your uh muscle stretching. <laughs>
3: slide
0: into the room like that movie um, uh, in the 80s. I feel like you both have said some pretty questionable things. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm actually going to call it on Michael for the handstand for the cartwheel one. What? I, I don't th- I don't think it helps that much to have a slanted floor. Okay. Which uh <laughs> which means Kate gets Woo! 3 points, Michael gets 2 out. points, and Neil gets 1 point.
1: Yeah. I would do
0: a cartwheel, but our floors are level. <laughs> That was that was so fun. You all did great. There was some there was some good stuff in there. I I, I loved it. So is everybody gonna go and build a slanted house? No, no, I'm not rich enough.
2: Only oh, a slanted vacation <laughs> house.
0: Maybe. <laughs> this brings us to our last murder, the final detective challenge of the book, Doctor Doctor Goost. Oh, oh
1: boy. <laughs> oh oh dear.
0: He's a med student, Noah. Well, you know what? They they treat him like a doctor throughout that's true so here's the circumstances of the crime shortly after the detective kiyoshi miderai arrives a number of the residents of the house have decided to board up their ventilation holes Um, after they do that medical student shun sasaki is in his room when a scream is heard here's what happened next at ushikoshi's command ozaki and anan threw their shoulders against the door after a few tries it broke sasaki was lying face up in the middle of the room On the table, there was a medical textbook that he'd apparently been reading. The room looked completely undisturbed. Straight through his sweater, right at the level of his heart, was a hunting knife, identical to the ones used in the previous two murders, with the same white string trailing from the handle. But the biggest difference from the previous cases was that Sasaki's chest was occasionally rising and falling. He's still alive, cried Kiyoshi. Um, That was from page 253. But the pathologist, Dr. Sano, who Kiyoshi brought in, Puts him on a stretcher, takes him to the hospital, and we learn that he died within the hour from his bleeding wound. Like I read, there was a hunting knife with a piece of string. It went through his chest, level with his heart, but not a lot of blood was found. At the time of the scream, there were a bunch of people in the salon. Kiyoshi and his assistant, the four police characters, Kozaburo Hamamoto, Mr. and Mrs. Kanai, Yoshihiko Hamamoto, Mr. and Mrs. Hayakawa, and Kajiwara was in the kitchen, and the pathologist. They were all in the salon. The only people who weren't there was Eiko, Kumi, Togai, and Sasaki who was killed. Mm -hmm. There was a note left on the wall that read, I will have revenge on Kozaburo Hamamoto. Very soon you will lose the most precious thing, your life. So my questions are, who killed Sasaki? How did they kill him? Why did they kill him? And what's the significance of the note? What other clues did you all catch? What are your thoughts on what's going on here? Um...
1: The I, I will say the the note is what threw me.
0: Uh huh.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so I had a very specific way of like thinking about this this murder to the point that I kind of saw it coming. But then uh, Mitrai's reaction to it kind of threw me for a loop, and I was like, Can what I think really be the case? Because uh, he was like, he was depressed about it, but not in a oh no somebody died way, but in a, oh no this isn't correlating with what I thought way, which I don't know like it could be an act. Or he really could have been like, what? This isn't how this was supposed to work. Are we still connected to the internet?
1: Yes, um, I'm meditating. Um, Oh, uh, I was going to make a joke. Is everybody ready for this joke? That's allowed. Uh, Michael, did you see this one coming? Because in the Word document that Noah sent us, he mentioned that there would be three murders. That is literally part of it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I
3: would have otherwise thought we were probably done with murders at this point.
1: I saw that document come in, I opened it, closed it pretty quickly without really reading it, read for a while, and then I was like, maybe I should look at that um that Word document that Noah sent me. And yeah. when I looked at it, I was like, three murders? I had only seen one murder and I was like I, I'm not prepared for all this other murder damn it Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah I sent you all a document with like the questions that you were going to have to put official deductions in advance mm-hmm. and I mentioned that there were light spoilers as to the number of people being murdered and such Right, but you know like it doesn't spoil the solutions to any of the murders but it does spoil maybe that they're going to happen before you forget nothing them. else the number of murders the number of murders. Okay
2: I have a few thoughts to contribute now that I've refreshed my brain yes so one i find it interesting that in the first murder the body appeared to be very specifically positioned uh-uh. and then in these second two murders they're just sort of laying on the floor so I find yeah. that interesting also want to point out um that when they go to take away um sasaki's body eiko suddenly is like don't die no yeah. um which was not something that had been alluded to up to that point
3: eiko and kumi even get into a like a shouting match about it later where kumi's like oh you're you suddenly are so interested in him that you like threw your body at him like well, i thought you were interested in all these men and, and weird things that uh that very uncomfortable argument
0: yeah it was very uncomfortable In the library of all places.
3: Yeah, and we were stuck in first-person mode because uh, facto Watson was observing at that time, so we had to see it through his ears.
0: Yep. See it through his ears. That's what I said. (laughs) Yep. Just like Uh, everyone is experiencing this podcast. (laughs) Seeing it right through your ears. As
1: as this book uh, has taught us, we can change perspective however we need to, whenever (laughs) it's convenient for those of us writing it.
3: Yeah, I did allude to this before, but it is very fun to me the way that, like, they joke about the, sh- the-, the summoning of Sherlock Holmes and they bring Miterai in as like a Sherlock Holmes character. So of course he has a Watson, uh, Kazumi Ishioka, to the point that he does flip into the Watson first person perspective.
0: Right. The whole book is in third person mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's in first person. This yeah. detective has arrived. He like takes over all the investigations, this is a solid 200 plus pages into the book.
1: And and mid-page at that, not like the start of uh, an act or even a scene. But, you know, it's like halfway through the page, there's a star, and then it's like, I blah blah blah, and I was like, who, what? Uh, Very frustrating, and that's why
0: it gets poorer reviews on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, any other thoughts about this murder before I log your official guesses in the official Dying Message Challenge logbook? I don't think so. Here we go. Starting with Kate.
3: Twist.
2: I think it's Kozaburo. I think that motive is the same, perhaps, as before, that Aiko was, she was into Sasaki. Yeah. She, she was feeling him. And I don't think her dad liked that. I think that he wanted her to marry, what's his face, the other guy. Togai. Yes.
1: Oh, the politician's
2: on, yeah. Yeah, so I think he was upset about her choice in men, because um, we all know that a father controls his daughter's um, marriage. True, um, true. And I don't know enough about the crime to know what the motive or the uh, MO was, but I'll go ahead and guess that yet again it has to do with that weird-ass room of mechanical toys that he has,
4: <laughs>
2: and that somehow one of them... Either slipped through the ventilation hole, went in through the window. I don't know. The letter, I think, is a red herring. I think he wrote it himself to try and make it look like it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Those are my theories.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. you're st- you you've gone for the triple Kozaburo yeah, special. This, I
2: a serial killer.
0: He is a weirdo, um, Neil. What are you thinking? Oh
1: man, I hear I have here one one name, all capital letters: Golem. <laughs> wild card yeah there are, there was enough talk of all this where I was like uh, okay now we've moved into the occult uh, yeah. and I guess I guess logic has partly gone out the window in what matters in this story so yeah I think Goldens pissed off
3: so you were taking me to psychic stuff sort of uh, as intentional and not like a
0: smokescreen
1: yeah you can say that, I guess. How did he get into the room if the uh, thing was boarded up? Magic, works for Jewish me. Jewish magic. And
0: um, what's the deal with the
1: note? He wants revenge as well for being in, uh, imprisoned.
0: Oh, so he uh, he wrote the note. Yeah. They talk about it being maybe being poorly written, so maybe it was written by a golem. Right there's and there's talk of the the other um, some of the
1: dolls that can like write and stuff. So uh, yeah,
0: very neat, um, Michael. Okay. Uh, Play it out for so, us. my
3: who is a collaboration between Shun Sasaki, Masaki Togai, and uh, Dis- Mitarai. I always forget his name, Mitarai. Oh my. So, uh, now I'm taking a bit of a gamble here because I don't have the specifics on the mechanism of the murders up to this point. Uh, much like Mitarai says, he's taking a gamble about like the direction they're facing on the steps at some point. So, basically, I think the three of them... Uh, putting their heads together, figured out the mechanism to a certain degree of the murder and yeah. wanted to try it. Uh, so they set it up to try it so that Togai would be the de facto like Kozaburo character uh, while Shun would be the stand-in for the victims. I think that Mitarai was essentially taking a gamble. like He hadn't fully figured it out, so there was potential for somebody to get hurt. So he also literally brought his own doctor to the house. Uh, so while Mitarai was you know, with everybody... Togai essentially attempted the mechanism to the degree that they figured it out, but messed it up a little. So Shun, uh, knowing the risk, got hurt for real. We don't actually see that he actually dies. And I don't think he oh. is going to be de facto dead. I think he's just injured. Because we've had Mitarai's doctor in the house to sort of, like, shuffle him off and, like, don't talk to him, don't look at him a lot, I'm taking him out of here, he's been murdered.
0: Mm, twist. Uh, yeah, uh-huh.
3: so I think that... That is all just uh, their attempt at proving the method of murder. Uh, and then the significance of the note is basically they didn't know how it would work out, so they added the note as a means to sort of pressure Kozaburo into panicking or confessing if things didn't go to plan.
0: Well, I have all of your official guesses in the official Dying Message Challenge logbook. Hurrah!
2: Guys. That's how I knew the ending to the Sixth Sense because they never showed Bruce Willis's character as dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mike, I think you're on to something.
0: Real quick, let me tell you the current scores. Uh, in third place with 15 and a half points, Michael. Oh no! In second place with 17 points, Neil, and in first place with 17 and a half points, Kate.
4: Ah. What? So you. we're
0: near nearly done for today. I'm just curious, like, are people enjoying the book? Are you, like, how motivated are you to read the end of the book? How has your experience reading the book changed because of what we're doing on this podcast? I like the book in general. Like,
3: I I find it fun. I definitely would have probably read through it pretty quickly uh, in another scenario. Uh, My points of frustration was where... Where they delivered information, it was so dense that I had to constantly stop to take notes. And then there was long spans where we didn't get any new information that were, like, the most enjoyable parts of the book for me just because I wasn't stopping to write stuff down. <laughs> yeah, you, you you have 18 pages of notes, including all the pictures of the diagrams. It, yeah, but wow. most of the diagrams I let take up a whole page just yeah. so I had an easy access to them. So, yeah. 18 inflated pages of notes.
1: Um, I have found this book, like, just as I gave in the description earlier... Um, incredibly confusing with all its distractions. Uh, But I do find that talking through a number of aspects of it makes me want to go back and, like, honestly just start rereading it Um, because I was reading it, you know, kind of puttering along. And then today I was like, oh, shit, I've got this podcast. Let me me skim (laughs) through it. And I realized I was like, I can't skim through this. There is utter nonsense happening at every turn (laughs) and more murders than I want to deal with. (laughs) Ain't that the way
2: um i read it more like a puzzle than like a book like it's probably not a book i would like kick back and relax to read because i need to know who did it and i want to get the
4: right
1: answer <laughs> yeah. right
2: i don't know i find it fun and silly um i definitely want to read more because i i need to know what happened yeah
3: i'd be very very excited to see how complicated this this mechanism of murder that i think exists is going to be yeah, yeah.
4: Because- and i
2: do agree with what uh neil said before that I feel like after I finish this one, if I were to read another book by this author, I might have an easier time of kind of guessing what's happening because I know, like, I'll have an example of how it worked. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's hard to judge, like, how wacky the solution's going to be right now. Right. And
3: I, I feel like as someone who's now seen a lot of detective anime and is on a detective anime podcast... I had a slight advantage in like, okay, it's going to be stuff like this. This is the stuff they're going to try. These are the things I should see. So
0: yeah. Maybe if we do this again, you can't be a contestant. <laughs> Hopefully I'll get some that. of my points back since I'm in the bottom right now. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Um, I'm really excited for you all to read the end of the book because the, I, I loved the end of the book. And I'll say that for our listeners, like if... You were here heard us talk about the book today, and it sounds like something you might want to read. I really strongly encourage you to go ahead and read the book before next episode when we spoil the ending, because you will not be able to have the same experience reading the ending after we have spoiled it. You might also know that you're never going to read this book. Great. Listen to the podcast. Uh, we're, we're here for you. We will tell you what happens. Uh, we, can, we can sort that out for you all. So, yeah, join us next week. We're going to spoil the heck out of this ending. Oh. We're gonna also going you know, to get to talk a little bit about some of the interpersonal relationships and other things that happened. We'll find out the winner, of the first ever Dying Message Challenge. So that's really exciting. Oh. I need to thank the three of you for, you know, reading this book and partaking in the challenge, putting your reputations as, uh, I don't know, as investigators, amateur sleuths on the line. People who know how to read.
2: I, mean, I read books all the time with no incentive. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow!
0: Hey, but if people can't wait until next week, Kate, Neil, Michael, are there other places where they can look for you, or other things that you get up to where they could find you? This is a plug section.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll plug that on several Fridays a month. I'm with the N Crowd on our fortnightly short form improv comedy show, and then we also have a panel show called the Inquisition. Those are on Twitch at Philly Uncrowd, um, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Neil P. Bardhan. You can read about that in the show notes.
2: I will plug a few things. I do have a podcast, like Noah mentioned at the beginning, called Blue Sky Ed. You can follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I've been really tardy in getting more episodes out, though, so there's only a few right now. And I will also plug the improv team that I'm on with Mike. Daddy Issues, we're having a show next Friday. What? Well, oh. it'll be
0: in the past when this comes out in the middle of September. We'll be having semi-monthly shows. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we're having shows. We will have had a show in August. I guess you won't know about. But follow Daddy Issues. What is? What are we? Daddy, Daddy Issues comedy? Is Improv Comedy. Daddy Issues Improv is our Instagram handle. Yeah. And I think Improv Comedy is our Facebook handle.
0: Anything to plug, Michael?
3: Uh, well, uh, Kate plugged my, imp- my one improv team, so I'll plug the other. Uh, listeners to the main podcast have heard our director, Nick Elmer, uh, and I am on his team, uh, Smoke Break, which is an impro- improv- an online improvised... Essentially, we're mall employees on break, and it's sort of like sitcom-esque in that our characters carry over from episode to episode, but you don't need to have seen it because nothing real happens. It's all silly nonsense. And you can look for us uh, at Smoke Break Improv on Facebook and YouTube.
0: Wonderful. Thank you all. Before you go, we have to do our cliffhanger challenge. So this is a challenge you will do this time, but then uh, I won't give anyone points until the start of our next episode, which is why it's a cliffhanger.
2: No fancy name for this challenge? Oh yeah,
0: th- no, there is. Our cliffhanger challenge is The Property Murders. So uh, Kozaburo Hamamoto designed this bizarre, inexplicable mansion, and it kind of seems perfect for a murder to happen in it. So in this game, I want you to imagine that you are an eccentric billionaire designing your own mansion for showing off to or tormenting your guests. What is the name of your mansion, and what are its distinguishing features that make it interesting for a murder mystery? Points go to funny and interesting answers. If I would read that book, you know. Uh, it's a cliffhanger challenge, so this will be the very last thing we do, and then right at the start of next episode, we'll find out who gets the points. This is going with Kate first, then Michael, then Neil.
2: I feel like I would have to have a mansion uh, called Chutes and Ladders, wherein there were just lots of chutes and ladders all over it. Some of them hidden, some of them not. I'm disappointed in this book's lack of secret passageways and hidden panels and things. So I'd definitely have some of those.
0: The Chutes and Ladders Mansion.
2: Yes, the Chutes and Ladders Mansion.
0: Next up.
3: So, welcome to my billionaire crazy mansion. Uh, uh, My two main loves in life are uh, Japanese-style hot springs and net cafes. So I have decided to combine them in my home, where you can enjoy the wonders of uh, modern technology, computers, devices, whatever you want, uh, right next to some lovely lovely wet hot springs. And uh, just exercise caution, that's all
0: I'm saying. What was the name of the mansion? Uh, It's the Net Net Springs... Mansion. Wonderful. Last up, we've got oh boy, we've got one more. Uh, this is the
1: diner jukebox mansion, alternately the jukebox diner mansion. Uh, every room recreates uh, like a classic style diner um, and has piped in music, um, so there's you know different music happening constantly in every room, um, and every room seems like just uh, you know one diner.
0: I love all of that, but we won't find out yet who gets the points. Tune in next time oh. on Dying Message Challenge to see who is ultimately crowned the detective champion of this podcast. <laughs> thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks so much. Yay. Yeah,
1: thank you. We did it.
0: We did it. Yeah. It's no mystery that this has been Dying Message Challenge Murder in the Crooked House Part 1 special Dying Message Challenge logo by Miriam Bloom. Music adapted from Face Punch by Jesse Spillane. A huge thank you to our three contestants, Neil Bardhan, Kate Esposito, and Michael Savitsky. And now a preview of next week's conclusion to Dying Message Challenge Murder in the Crooked House.
2: Oh my god, I just, I didn't even realize that. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: there's just so much to like about this, like you can't see it coming. Uh, You can't. Is it like, that's one of my questions too. Is it possible? Like I, I didn't want to say outright when I asked you all to do this. I don't think it's possible for any of you to guess the right answer, but I, I was like 99% sure none of you were going (sighs) to guess. this.
2: No, not even close.